Okay, so welcome back, everybody. Hey, Gunner. Uh, hey, everybody. I am here with Jamie Duncan, and we're going to do a quick update on who Jamie is. He's a listener to the show, but he's also um, somebody that does a lot at Red Hat, and he's been at Red Hat for a long time. And I've, I know that I'm always tweeting about him, tweeting pictures of him violating fire codes because he's every time he presents about containers, he's packing a room. So welcome to the show, Jamie. Hey, thanks, Dave. It's um yeah. the day before Thanksgiving right now, so uh, prepared for turkey. Yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> so, well, tell tell us a little bit about yourself, Jamie. So, you know, your your sort of your origin story and your journey through Red Hat. Uh, sure. Um, I've been in Red Hat. See, I've been here. It'll be five years in January, so I'm almost due up for the my first hockey puck. Kind of excited mm-hmm. about that. Um, before Red Hat, I was a hired gun for a long time. I was a down in the weeds engineer. I did stuff, uh, was at a bioinformatics company in the D.C. area doing kind of high-scale DNA analysis stuff. I was, well, I was the engineer for it. I, the math got way over my head really fast. Uh, before that, I did Big Web, you know, eight or ten million hit count a day websites for, for TV stations and newspapers. And I started at Red Hat as a TAM, so I was a technical account manager. I was the, the human easy button for the public sector uh, for about four years. Mm-hmm. And, and switched over in March to the sales team to see what's uh, see what's going on over here and, and figure out how to be a how to be a field a field technical guy for all the sales reps. Yeah, yeah. So you're focusing on you're a cloud specialist uh, solutions mm-hmm. architect, right? Yeah. So I work on. Uh, we try not to say the, the 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 dirty e word. We try not to say emerging technology, but uh, that stigma is kind of going away. Yeah. Uh, we say that now and don't get yelled at very often. But I focus on most of our emerging tech um, containers, like you said before. I'm a huge fan of Ansible for automation. I do a lot of work with cloud forms and then uh, even OpenStack, the infrastructure as a service that we have. Okay. So I okay. keep my fingers in lots of pies. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about containers for a little bit. Um, so it's you know one of these things that you know when, whenever I meet with uh, you know government folks, it, I'm surprised about how popular containers is where, you know, a lot of times you, you have this stereotypical mental picture of, of, um, you know, government data centers that are just drowning in technical debt. And, you know, there are people clinging to their mainframes and waterfall design. But <laughs> every time I see you present, you're like packing a room. And these are, these are government customers that are coming to hear about our container story. So what, it, are you seeing the same thing? And why, why do you think that is? No, you're exactly right. Um, uh, we do it, it when you bring up the container. It, when you just say container, and some of it you have to you have to admit is is buzz, and mm-hmm. and they're they're reading the trade rags and and they're they're seeing this thing that containers are you know. So there is a little bit of that population of, okay, I've got containers. I've checked that box. Now I'll move back into this. You know, I'll maintain my six spreadsheets to keep my job kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of that. But it's not very much. I mean, I'm amazed, and, and I defend it, you know, to other Red Hatters when we're, you know, when we're outside the public sector team, when we're at larger events. Some of the big, most innovative stuff going on in IT is happening right here in the government. And these guys are, you know, I, I always do I have a laugh line at the front of every talk. I ask, uh, who's got a bigger budget next year than this year? And no one's hand ever goes up. 
yeah, and yeah. and that crunch, that just years of budget crunching, and that years of of flatline, you know, IT team growth is is forcing innovation. These guys have no more money and they have more responsibility and they have to figure out, you know, I have to keep the lights on and I have to innovate somewhere. Yeah. Where am I going to do that? And containers in particular are something that a lot of them are looking at and a lot of them are, are starting to realize are, are, is going to give them a real benefit. It's a yeah. lot of fun. It's a, it's a great it's a great time to be talking about it and, and showing them how it works. Yeah. And do you see people going from like are, are these like the you know, classic Unix admins that are, you know, the late adopters per se, or, or are these people that it's like they've already migrated from Unix to RHEL, they're using RHEL, they're living the Linux lifestyle, and then they're looking for the next, uh, you know, the next cycle as in terms of the like open source triple play as far as, um, uh, you know, getting more uh, uh, for less. The vast majority of the people are, are the people that have already moved most of their workloads to Linux. Uh, it's it, it's the it's the bread and butter, and it's and and the reason they're in there is they were doing you know I like to talk about it a lot of you know we have this we've had this continual evolution of, of bare metal servers, and a new project is a new is a new server, and then that mm-hmm. that virtualization revolution happened about eight years ago, and now uh-huh. a, a new project is a new VM. In, in VMware and Red Hat virtualization or whatever we're maintaining it in. And now containers give them that next layer of density. And I'm able to take and run multiple containers, multiple applications on a single virtual machine. And it mm-hmm. gives me, it, it lets me do more work with the same amount of hardware. And, and at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. You know, sweating my hardware as much as possible and getting the mm-hmm. most work out of everything I can. Because again, I don't have more money. <clears throat> and containers also have that added benefit of, yeah, I can run more applications on the same amount of hardware, but I mm-hmm. I can when I do it right, I can also get more work out of the same number of humans. Uh, yep. Containers let do that copy, rinse, repeat stuff really, really well of, of spinning up applications, scaling them up, scaling them down, getting rid of them when you don't need them anymore. And it's mm-hmm. you know so we're we're sweating our we're sweating our hardware more effectively, and then we're utilizing our humans more effectively. But I, mm-hmm. I always, there's almost always, and, and again, I use it for a laugh line. Uh, but there is, there's, there's almost always a heckler in the back who, who screams something about Solaris zones. Did this 12 years ago, and uh, <laughs> and I always want to, I, I stop them and ask them. I, I get a little, it, it gets on my nerves a little bit, <laughs> to be honest. And I ask them, what did Solaris zones do? And no one actually ever has an answer. So I'm pretty sure there's unicorn blood in there somewhere. There has to be voodoo magic in Solaris zones. <laughs> Yeah. No one's been able yeah. to explain it to me. So if someone out there knows, uh, tweet at me and let me know, you know, what actually did Solaris Zones do? Because I would love to know, just to put that question well, I, to bed. Yeah, I, uh, to be fair to um, uh, our, our one or two Solaris listeners listeners in the audience, um, that I, I think Solaris did a lot from a container standpoint as far as like getting that technology out there. And it reminds me of our container um technology that we had in the RHEL 6 time frame, like the pre-Docker stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where you know, we had that basic plumbing in terms of, uh, you know, C groups and SE Linux isolation, you know, like they had all the isolation out, but it's more of the, the, the Docker format that, and the reusability is what really made it applicable. Like if Docker yeah. possibly came out in the Solaris era where you could do, uh, you know, Docker apps in Solaris back in the day, uh, 
probably the the Solaris container technology would have been uh, more useful then. Yeah, and and I do you know again I, I say I kind of I kind of joke the heckler back a little bit, but it should feel familiar, um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm glad that it does because at the end of the day, it, it, we're talking about process isolation, yeah. and we've yeah. been isolating processes since we've had isolate processes to isolate, mm-hmm. and. I, I, I'm, I'm glad that it does feel familiar because it do, that means that we're going, we're continuing down that right track. When the new technology feels like the old technology, the new technology is probably going to be effective because mm-hmm. to the to the user, it's it's more or less transparent because it feels familiar. Mm-hmm. And and that's I think that's when we get it right. When it feels new and weird, that's when it needs more work, more often. Right. Than not. That's a great point. And and I bet you probably got the same heckling, and I know I did, of like uh, the people talking about uh, uh, type one hypervisors back in the oh, day. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. It's completely. like, oh, we had we did virtualization on the mainframe. There is nothing new to see here. And it's like and it's like you're you're arguing about things that. It's like, good for you. I'm very proud of you. Um, and, and, you know, bless your heart. But the reality <laughs> is it's like, that's okay. It's, it's, it's actually moved to the point where it's, uh, a com- it's commonplace in the open source world. And just like you mm-hmm. said, it's, it's not new and weird. It's something that people are already familiar with, but yeah. it's, in the, it's in the open source world for a fraction of the price that people would have to pay with exactly. proprietary hardware. Yeah. yeah, I would have to say that. Um, bless your heart. I'm from the South, so bless your heart means something a little different. <laughs> we wouldn't yeah. say that to someone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's yes. the most left-handed of insults that you can get. No, and I and I, I intended that. Um, yeah. But yes, bless yes. your heart. Yeah. Sounded like my mother and father for a second. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of hardware, though, uh, and Big Iron, you just got back from supercomputing. Yeah, that was. I'd never been to supercompute before. This was my first year going. Um, 14,000 of the highest end of high-end computer geeks on the planet uh, mm-hmm. descended on Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And which I, I'd also never left the airport in Salt Lake City before last week. Uh, so it was it was an experience in a lot of ways for me. It was it was it was an amazing uh, on the show floor I saw stuff that it was amazing to me. It was it was kind of stunning. Some of the stuff mm-hmm. that was going on. Yeah, yeah. Like before, I came to Red Hat almost ten years ago. I was at SGI for, mm-hmm. um, you know, a good number of years, and and uh, I remember going to that show every year. And it was always it's it's like stepping into a time machine, and where you see all this stuff from the future, all this liquid cooled stuff, and and yeah. that's the stuff that SGI did too, right? Where it's like you would buy this very expensive system because you're buying something that is so advanced it's from the future and it hasn't been commoditized yet which is why you're you know you're paying that premium and mm-hmm. but that premium helps pay for the engineers to do that weird science fiction stuff that nobody that hasn't been commoditized yet yeah um, um, yeah yeah i think ibm really got it right the the ibm booth uh, i i may have spent a lot of time there i'm an f1 racing fan mm-hmm. and they had uh it was they had f1 racing simulators and then they had a helm, a, a little bit of a segue, but um, F1 every year they do one race at night in Malaysia, and they do it kind of oh. under the stadium lights, and all mm-hmm. of the drivers get these really fancy sparkly helmets. So you can, and mm-hmm. they literally as they're driving down these in these beyond hyper cars at 220 miles an hour, and turning hard left, um, their their helmets are all shiny and sparkly, and they look really cool. 
they had a, a from the Red Bull F1 racing team. They had one of the racers helmets from Malaysia this year and his sixty thousand dollar steering wheel. Uh, so I I I, I, stat, I I drooled at the IBM booth quite a bit, but I, I, I make the comparison a lot of times. You're exactly right. You know, the F1 racing cars are are the things that in ten years we'll start seeing. You know, in in mm-hmm. Honda Civics and, and in Kia Sorentos. Yeah. Uh, the 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 HPC crowd, the the guys that that populate supercompute, they're the same thing. You know, the the yeah. stuff that they're innovating around or is what's going to make it into the enterprise data center and. Not that many years. I think I think the churn now is 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 decreasing all the time. You know, it's eighteen or twenty four months. Probably the the coolest thing, and not just the cool. Like I saw, so my mind is still awash in all the cool stuff I saw. But the the more, one of the more interesting things, and I got to have some conversations around it, is that it's becoming a two way street. For a lot of years, yeah, innovation in in the HPC world, you know, bubbled its way down into the enterprise. And we're yes. actually starting now to see innovation from the enterprise bubble its way back up into HPC much more regularly. Hmm. And, okay. and we're actually seeing that with containers, uh, just yeah. to kind of bring it full circle. Uh, they're, they're working on, and, and there's actually a product out there now where people are actively using container technology in high performance, in like these super high-end HPC workloads, like mm-hmm. modeling mm-hmm. atomic explosions and, and neutron stars and all this crazy math that I can't even fathom. They're doing it in containers mm-hmm. now and like and like top 10 supercomputers and very yeah. specialized types of containers, but they're completely containers. I got to talk to a few creators of the projects and uh, and mm-hmm. we just kind of geeked out around it for, for a couple hours. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's where I think when, you know, with with containers and all that, that is how it's like some of that stuff is, is coming back is, you know, back in the day, you think uh, supercomputing um you know, you think about it's like, oh, I have big iron, I have a scheduler, right? Like mm-hmm. like platform LSF or or whatever. Mm-hmm. And what's funny though is that I see a lot of people in the container scheduling community that are independently inventing a lot of the things that the HPC scheduling community invented a long time ago. Like right. things like affinity, anti-infinity, and it's like, oh, they're really proud, you know. Uh, they're really proud of this stuff that it's like, wait a minute, these guys invented this stuff 20 years ago, you know, bless your heart. Um, (laughs) You know, I I love what you're doing, but, but I think that's really cool to see that, that by direction where it's like somebody from the enterprise is coming in with containers, but you could take all of that uh, orchestration expertise that you have in the HPC scheduler community Mm -hmm. and pump that into things like, you know, Kubernetes, Mesos, exactly. and all, all the other container scheduler things that are going on. Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a yeah. lot of fun, man. And I'm, I'm real excited. Uh, there's one product out there. And of, of all the things, all the things that were talked about on the floor, uh, the, the technology with the most buzz was, was a container technology. It was a thing called Singularity uh, invented by one of the guys that started CentOS or CentOS, you know, the, the community enterprise distribution. Uh, and it's only six months old. And it had almost everyone walking around the floor that I saw had a Singularity sticker on their badge. And they mm. didn't even have a booth. They were just word of mouth. So it's And and he actually came and found me the last day because I was doing the container talks for Red Hat. Mm-hmm. And we did, you know, twice a day I was, you know, on our little mini theater in our in our booth just talking about what enterprise containers are just trying to, to educate these people just to kind of get the idea wrapped around their head. 
And he came up and he was excited about mm-hmm. the idea of figuring out where these two technologies are going to converge on one another to, to make something that's even better. It's yeah. it's going to be a fun it's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun next eighteen months or so as this technology evolves. Yeah. So is is Singularity is that a open source project or is that a company or both or or how how is that laid out? No, it's completely open source. It's out on GitHub. Okay. Uh, it's funded, uh, and we can put the links out in the show notes. Yeah. Um, it is. Uh, it's written, you know, it's it's low level C because an HBC guy wrote it, so it's C with a little bit of Python tossed in for fun. Uh, it's out on GitHub. It's funded uh, through uh, the Berkeley uh, Cal Berkeley Labs. You know, that's ah, where he okay. works, and, and so that's where it's kind of being incubated. But it's finding okay. a quick foothold, and it's and it takes the concerns of the HBC world, all of that amazing hardware they have access to, that stuff that's not being commoditized. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it goes out of its way to make sure the full the full brunt of those resources are available to what's inside the container. So it, yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas you know in the enterprise world we're trying to isolate a little more than what they're trying to do in, because they have a scheduler, they have Slurm or, or Grid Engine or mm-hmm. or, or M- Open MPI to do the the scheduling for them. You know, the, figuring out where where those two things interact, it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, and and speaking about you know talking about uh, the, the with um, the the bi-directional nature of the enterprise going into supercomputing and vice versa, um, you know whenever you know like we were talking before about with supercomputing was very um, bare metal heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and but the enterprise has gone to the cloud. Uh, so have you seen a lot of like public cloud HPC stuff at the show or, or any thoughts on that? Well, we and kind of shameless plug. Um, that was very much the drum we were beating at Supercompute yeah. this year, and yeah. even you know before Red Hat, and that's you know going on six years ago now. Uh, when I was doing bioinformatics work, which is sort of the redheaded stepchild of of HPC, um, mm-hmm. you know the, the the real high end HPC guys won't even admit that it's a that it's a it just happens to be a parallel job. They won't call mm-hmm. it HPC. Um, but uh, we I would spin up you know, six or 700, you know, nodes in Amazon and run these DNA analysis jobs on them for the, for my scientists. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of doing that years ago and doing it very poorly because Amazon, it was six years ago version of Amazon. But mm-hmm. um, what we're seeing now is, and one of our sales reps, Dan McGuan has done a ton of work with you know, a bunch of customers that do this for a living and found that, you know, a virtual environment, sort of an on-demand environment like OpenStack is a, is a viable landing spot is, is a good landing spot for a lot of the, the sort of lower end HPC workloads that are out there, you know, that not mm-hmm. that we're never going to put OpenStack on Titan at Oak Ridge and these giant top 10 supercomputers, but for the, the kind of ham and egg high performance computing, you know, that, that everyday HPC. And, and it's amazing that I can say that we have that now that kind of blows my mind, just that idea, but we do yeah. uh, having it where I can, you know, I don't have a queue where I, only two or three people can sit on these giant clusters at a time. But in an OpenStack cluster, I can have 40 or 50 people working simultaneously. Yeah. And all of these guys, all they care about at the end of the day is time to science. You know, they yes. don't care about it, it ran in a VM versus it ran in, you know, on the big cluster or it ran in some box under some guy's desk. They don't care. Right. They want right. their results. Yes. And putting more chairs in front of the same table gives us 
gives us the ability to do that. And uh, for the demo out at Supercompute this this past week, I actually had um, Slurm, which is a, an open source job scheduler, actually running a Slurm job. I was able to spin up a Slurm cluster and do work on it in OpenStack in about 90 seconds. And as soon as the work was done, destroy the entire thing and get rid of it and make the resources available again to someone else. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. And it got a lot of good, a lot of good traction. Yeah. And that's, I think that's one of the other things that that whole time to science where, you know, a lot of times you you have almost two audiences in the supercomputing space. You, You have the scientists, it's all time to science where they don't care what the, uh, what the underlying hardware is, whether it's virtualized or whatever, you know, they want to have access to compute resources and get their job done as fast as possible. Exactly. And then you have the infrastructure people that are, it's like, Oh, what's, what's the latest Intel cache size for this and that. And, you know, they're, you know, they're doing all these bake offs and and things like Mm -hmm. that, but it's really the focus on the time to science. And the, the other part too, is that when, you know, we were doing HPC on bare metal back in the day, um, you know, you had these finite configurations and you had finite resources where, you know, your system sizes were so big and you had only so many of them. But mm-hmm. whenever you start looking and at and that's why you had these really expensive, very sophisticated job schedulers to maximize every ounce of hardware that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, however, today, now that you have uh, because you don't have a whole lot of elasticity, right? So if, if you know if 100% of your compute resources are being utilized, that's great from an ROI standpoint, but it's bad from an elasticity standpoint. And and the exciting thing to me is that if you could burst into that same workload into a public cloud, it may not run as fast, but you might be able to get more done or do like a high priority job or balance things out in a more cost effective mm-hmm. way using something say like CloudForms or whatever they could figure out what's the cost of running it in-house versus in a public cloud or different cloud providers and figuring that out. Yeah. The map there from the enterprise into this HPC world is really, I think it's one-to-one. I think it's completely accurate because we, Mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, making it a business problem, not a technical problem about where your work Mm -hmm. ends up and whether that be Mm -hmm. on bare metal or in a virtual machine or in a container or in Amazon or Azure or, or wherever the best fit is, Make that a business decision. And mm-hmm. in HPC, the business is science. And the, the mm-hmm. end result is getting science faster. And yeah, you know, if in, a, in Amazon, a 10-day processing job may take 11 days. But if I'm mm-hmm. waiting three weeks to get to the cluster and I take one extra day to run it, I just, get, I just got my results 10 days faster. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're talking science. about. And, and that's yeah. what we're pushing. Yeah, and time to result, time to publish. And, yeah, and that's, yeah. it's... You know, I was fully, you know, I walked into Supercompute, you know, the the bare metalist of the bare metal crowd. And I was talking about OpenStack and containers all week. I fully mm. expected to be laughed out of the room multiple times. And they were they were like, holy crap, it's, it, we can do that now. This yeah. isn't this isn't a myth. Like, it's not a fit for everything, but it's a fit for a lot. Yeah. And it makes my life easier than me. that copy, rinse, repeat, ham and egg, high performance computing. We've, yeah. we've got it. We're, we're there. It's pretty awesome. And, yeah, and this this goes back to when we had uh, Jeremy Eater on the show, where you know he does a lot of the performance engineering for containers and KVM performance and stuff like that. It's it's you know that that's the benefit of you know commercially supported open source, where you know we're actually employing people that think about stuff like this of wringing out every ounce of performance and all that yeah. instead of like you know 
doing it yourself where you check out the code from GitHub, you build it, and and you don't know what the right compile flags are to, to tune it out or, you know, mm-hmm. to squeak every ounce of performance out. Right. Uh, Jeremy was it was also an ex-TAM, uh, is yeah. a, a little bit of a non sequitur. He was my technical interview uh, when I interviewed at Red Hat. And uh, I knew after he beat me up about the kernel for 45 minutes that there's no way in the world this place was going to hire me. (laughs) (laughs) Jeremy was the standard. I was so woefully lacking. I I almost just got in the car and went home after he left the the interview room. But uh, but yeah, it was. But you're here. Yeah, they they made a mistake and they keep making it. So. <laughs> no, no, I'm glad you're here. So, well, let's let's close things out here. And you know, one of the things that uh, I know that is always a challenge. You know, whenever you want to demonstrate our products, um, you know, a lot of times our customers may not have a robust internet connection, so you try to jam everything into your laptop, or mm-hmm. or you have like multiple backpacks filled with laptops and it's kind of suboptimal but but you guys are working on shadow box to to help with uh, you know th- talk about uh you know time to science but you know um what about the this uh shadow box project you're working on tell us about that so yeah so it's in so shadow box and you know the name is to, is is a play on on the red hat logo shadow man so it's, mm-hmm. it's shadow man's little portable box and you're exactly right um you know we're field facing people you know, we're out there, you know, you and I are carrying bags and, and, and walking around the customers talking about technology all the time. And at some point in that discussion, we have to show it to them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. At, at that point, I'm stuck with what I can carry on my back. And mm-hmm. and that's, you know, with this technology, as fast as all of this stuff grows, that's limiting. You know, I have the nicest laptop out there as, as good as anyone's, and, and I can still only show you one or two things. So what a few of us put together and, and it has its own website and a bunch of us are working on it and, and working to make it better all the time. We actually took a, you know, a weatherproof Pelican cake, like they, they put fancy cameras and stuff in and we have eight server grade motherboards running in it with an enterprise grade switch all running off of a single power supply and all wired up and ready to roll. Mm-hmm. And it's all mounted and shock mounted and it's, it weighs about 55 pounds and you can actually check it as oversized luggage. Or you can FedEx it across the country to a customer site. Mm-hmm. Equipment, and it's not designed to be, but for demos and labs, and just that ability to walk in somewhere and and show not only OpenStack or not only OpenShift or, or a container technology, but to show all of them together, and then bring in mm-hmm. stuff like Ansible Tower and Cloud Forms and software-defined storage, and really be able to show the breadth of of what emerging technology can do when you put it together well. And be able to do it in real time. Uh, last night, Shadowbox was, I, we refer to him now as a person, but um, Shadowbox was in Maryland with a, with a Kevin Jones, who's one of the smartest guys in Red Hat. He's an OpenStack specialist. He actually drove it from Norfolk, uh, where he lives uh, in Virginia, up to, up to Maryland, did a meetup group with another SA. Uh, they plugged it in, turned it on, and did a complete OpenStack deploy in 30 minutes while they were doing like the the introductory slide deck. So they wow. went from just having a control plane built out, you know, having DNS and DHCP and all that stuff, to a fully functional, ready to roll OpenStack deployment, which typically takes a couple of days inside this, you know, inside this box inside the room. Uh, it did it in 30 minutes, and 
a little bit of extra fun is it actually has its own Wi-Fi inside of it. So it's a, it's a really, it's kind of a demo tool on steroids. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it, it's doing good work. It's out there. Um, it, it's what we're going to be building a lot of our demos out for the public sector cloud team over the next six months or so and mm-hmm. using tools like Ansible and cloud forms to, to manage them and, and, and do really cool demos and, and show the work, not, you know, slideware's slideware's okay, but eventually you have to show the technology and right. that's what we put it here for. Yeah. And that's, that's the other part of all the yak shaving you have to do with, uh, having to go and even do that on site at a customer site where they got to identify some servers. You got to call the networking team to get IP addresses and where this is, um, you know, it's basically, a um, you know, everything's all in a box. You, you just need to plug it into the power outlet and go. So that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. It has one power cord and you know, yeah. you flip literally a light switch inside of it from home Depot. And, <laughs> and this is home nice. Depot level engineering. You know, it's a, uh, it's, it's plywood and threaded rod and, and light switches like you would put in your basement, but um, yeah. it works. And we're, we're kind of iterating it. Uh, the entire process is open. All of the yeah. all of the code that puts it together is open source. We're, we take pictures mm-hmm. and, and give build descriptions, so other people can build variations on it and, and improve on it. Uh, it's, yeah. it's a lot of fun, and it's, it's you know several SAs have already used it, several Red Hatters have already used it, and you know we're we're actually looking at the next version of it that another part of the company wants us to build. So it's oh, a lot nice. of fun. Nice, nice. So, and yeah, that's all in GitHub. So, um, so let's 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 close things out here, uh, Jamie. So, thank you so much for joining. Um, let me ask you this question here: If people wanted to uh, get links uh, to the show notes and uh, and uh, learn more about Shadowbox, build it themselves, and, and reach out to you on Twitter, what what website should we send them to? So yeah, so there is this web page out there. It's it's my homepage, just like it is Dan Walsh's homepage. It's dgshow.org. All right. Well, cool. Well, thanks, Jamie, for joining, and thanks, everybody, for listening. Good day, Dave. Have a good one. We'll see you all soon. Okay.